48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. The Justice Secretary again intervenes to stop a private prosecution related to the protests. Police make another six arrests over the year-long gang rampage last year. And Hong Kong records the lowest number of new coronavirus cases in six weeks. Justice Secretary Theresa Cheng has started proceedings to halt a second private prosecution brought by lawmaker Ted Hoi. This time it's a case involving a taxi driver whose vehicle ploughed into a group of protesters in Shampipo last October. Earlier this week, Ms Cheng started the process to halt the prosecution of a policeman who shot and seriously injured a student protester last November. Mr Hoi says he's furious and is considering seeking a judicial review. She's trying to destroy rule of law. She's overriding rule of law with politics and with rule of man. And it's the second time that she intervened in my cases. And actually, she intervened in all my cases. It implies that she's shutting down all legal channels through which citizens can pursue justice through court of law. Police say they've arrested six men on suspicion of rioting and conspiracy to wound in connection with the indiscriminate mob attack at Yunlong MTL station on July the 21st last year. It brings the total number of arrests over the violence to 43, although only seven people have been charged. Tom McAlinden has details. Senior Superintendent Chan Tin Chu says the latest men to be arrested over the rampage more than a year ago are aged between 32 and 53. He wouldn't say whether they're suspected of being among the gang of men wearing white who terrorised passengers at the train station or whether they were among the protesters wearing black that the gang were hunting. He said police will arrest anyone who gets involved in unlawful behaviour regardless of their background and political stance. The force recently said that it would make arrests over the case when the time is right. Asked about this, the senior superintendent said the police take action in accordance with the relevant standards and when they can achieve the biggest justice judicially. He added that the arrests have come now because officers had to go through a lot of paperwork and footage and new video material had recently been provided by the public. Senior Superintendent Chan said some suspects have fled Hong Kong and the force has asked overseas counterparts for help. The number of new COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong has continued to fall, with 18 new infections today. It's a far cry from the last days of July, when the daily numbers were continuously in triple digits. But health officials remain cautious, noting there could have been a drop in the number of people returning samples for coronavirus tests yesterday due to the typhoon. One of the latest patients recently returned to Hong Kong on an Air India flight, which had already seen more than a dozen infections. Dr Chuan Shukwan from the Centre for Health Protection was asked whether the temporary ban on Air India flights should be extended. We, we do not have an exact um, figure on uh, how many um, we should, um, I mean, stop the air flight because it's a newly um, imposed regulation. But uh, we think that the, the proportion is a bit too high for those who are supposed to be tested negative to come to Hong Kong. That's why we imposed a, um, the, a short duration of uh, stopping the flight. But um, there's also no fixed length of uh, duration how long you should stop this flight from coming to Hong Kong. So we think that two weeks is, is a reasonable time. The Democratic Party and the Civic Party have decided to let the public choose whether their lawmakers should remain in LegCo now its term has been extended for at least another year by Beijing. 
The camp is split on whether they should stay on or boycott the council now that next month's elections have been postponed. So the two parties say they'll follow the result of a citywide opinion poll to be arranged. Civic Party leader Alvin Young says his party is inclined to stay on as LegCo is one of the few battlefields that remain open to the opposition. We understand an opposition voice remains extremely important here in the council. And so this is why we formed our view that we incline to stay. But of course, as one of the democratic parties, we respect people's views because we understand even if we have the best logic, by staying here without the people's mandate, that is not going to work. And so we respect and support democratic parties' decision to, to conduct a poll and we will follow the poll's result. The Democratic Party says it hopes the final decision can be reached by September the 30th, when the current LegCo term was originally meant to end. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Foreign Ministry says Hong Kong will suspend an agreement on mutual legal assistance with the US in a tit-for-tat response to Washington ending three bilateral agreements with the SAR. As Priscilla Ung reports, the Hong Kong government has also condemned Washington for suspending the agreements, saying it will hurt the US more than the SAR. At a news briefing in the capital, Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian said the SAR will suspend an agreement on mutual legal assistance with Washington, and he urged the United States to immediately correct its mistakes. The agreement, signed in 1997 before the handover, stated that the U.S. and Hong Kong governments would help each other in criminal matters such as transferring people in custody or searching and confiscating proceeds of crime. The suspension is in response to the U.S. State Department's decision to end three treaties that covered the surrender of fugitive offenders, the transfer of convicts, as well as one that allows for reciprocal tax exemptions on proceeds derived from international shipping. Washington has cited the SAR's new national security law for its decision, saying it has crushed the freedoms of the people of Hong Kong. But an SAR government spokesman says it's actually the U.S.'s disrespect for bilateralism and multilateralism that merits international condemnation. Five pro-democracy figures arrested over protests last year have lost their legal fight to stop police accessing their mobile phones, Candice Wong reports. In their judicial review at the High Court, Martin Lee, Albert Ho, Aung Hin, Sin Chung Kai and Yeung Sum argued that the scope of the warrants police had obtained to search their mobiles was too wide. Their phones were confiscated in April when the five were among 15 people arrested and charged over demonstrations that took place between August and October last year. It wasn't until two months later that a magistrate issued the search warrants for the phones and other electronic devices. Lawyer argued the police had already kept the phones for an unreasonable amount of time, that the warrants provided a blanket permission to extract information and that the police were just on a fishing exercise. But a two-judge panel has dismissed the legal challenge, saying the warrants did not give police a license to indiscriminately scour the phones. The judges did agree that there could be some intrusion of privacy when police go through the phones, but said responsible officers would adhere to the rules 
rule that the searches must be reasonable. They added that because the search warrants set out the device, content and potential offences involved, officers should be able to understand what it is and isn't permitted. The judges also rejected the claim that there had been an unreasonable delay between the seizure of the phones and the warrants being obtained after the police explained they needed time to seek legal advice from the Department of Justice. An interim injunction had prevented the police from going through the phones while the judicial review was taking place, but they can now be unlocked and searched. Aung-Nokhin says he's disappointed by the ruling, but isn't sure whether they will appeal. The High Court is due to decide tomorrow whether the first man charged under the new national security law is being detained lawfully in a test of the bail conditions imposed under the new legislation. Our reporter, Timmy Sung, listened to the arguments presented in court today. Tong Ying Kit has been held in custody since his arrest on July the 1st. He is accused of riding his motorcycle into a group of police officers while carrying a flag-bearing deliberate Hong Kong slogan during a protest and faces charges of inciting secession and engaging in terrorist activities. But this hearing isn't about that case. It centers on bail conditions for suspects held on alleged national security offenses. Lawyers for the defendant have filed a writ of habeas corpus, asking the authorities to prove that he's being held lawfully. Article 42 of the National Security Law states that suspects can't be granted bail unless the court is satisfied that they will not commit any further acts that endanger national security. But senior counsel Philip Dykes argued that the article essentially denies bail to anyone and lifting the burden of proof from the prosecution, as required under common law, risks allowing arbitrary detention. His team argued that it would be unfair to require Tong Ying Kit to promise to stop endangering national security to secure his release, saying this does not comply with the legal principle of the presumption of innocence. But Justice Alex Lee disagreed, stressing that granting bail is a matter of risk assessment. Senior counsel Benjamin Yu for the prosecution said the habeas corpus application is itself improper, saying the defendant's detention cannot be unlawful since it was approved by a magistrate. Meanwhile, during the hearing, a woman was caught taking pictures of the proceedings at a courtroom extension where a live video feed showing the proceedings were being shown. She told the two judges hearing the case that she was only sending pictures to her boyfriend to prove that she was there. She promised she would delete the pictures and ask her boyfriend to do the same. The court asked her to leave their contacts for possible further investigation. An Oriental Daily reporter has told the court that a run-in with media tycoon Jimmy Lai left him needing tranquilizers and visits to a psychiatrist. Mr Lai denies threatening to hurt the reporter at the June the 4th vigil three years ago. Violet Wong reports. The Oriental Daily reporter, identified only as X, told West Kowloon Magistrates Court that he was following and filming Mr Lai for work from a distance of several metres. He said Mr. Lai came up to him, saying he would find someone to mess him up and warning him not to take close-up pictures. X said he was afraid that Mr. Lai would beat him up and later that night he went to the police. He told the court he saw a psychiatrist three times after the alleged incident and had to take tranquilizers as he suffered from adjustment disorder. 
except he had often followed Mr. Lai since the Occupy protests in 2014 and the tycoon had used swear words at him on a previous occasion. Mr. Lai denies a charge of criminal intimidation. The hearing is expected to last another two days. The Ombudsman says it is going to investigate whether the government is monitoring the sale of vaccines by private healthcare facilities effectively enough. This comes after a scandal last year in which some medical centres provided customers with fake HPV jabs. Wendy Wong has more. Ombudsman Winnie Chu says vaccines are pharmaceutical products injected directly into the human body, so it's essential to ensure the quality and safety. In a statement, she says the government must properly play a gatekeeping role to prevent substandard or counterfeit products from reaching the market and potentially jeopardizing public health. Currently, the health and customs departments are jointly responsible for enforcing the ordinances that regulate the import and sale of vaccines here. Last July, there were numerous complaints about fake HPV vaccines sold by some private medical centers. Tests subsequently found that the products were not HPV vaccine at all and were just ingredients commonly found in saline solution. The vaccine which is used to prevent cervical cancer was in short supply at that time. Doubts about the quality of jabs available on the mainland led to many women coming here to get inoculated. A doctor at a private clinic who was found to have stocked the counterfeit vaccines was sentenced to four months in prison. The Ombudsman says her investigation will explore ways to improve the current monitoring mechanism. The government is inviting applications from non-profit making groups to take over the former North Kowloon Magistracy in Shamshipo, which has been vacated by the Savannah College of Art and Design's Hong Kong campus. The art college took over the historic building a decade ago in an earlier partnership scheme with the government. Lau Kwok Wei, executive director of the Conservancy Association Centre for Heritage, says that the government's revitalisation scheme for historic buildings has been a good way to preserve local history, but more support is needed to help ensure such projects are sustainable. I think this is quite hard to operate such huge space in Hong Kong. It is because of the rent and the price of land is very high in Hong Kong right now. So um, it's quite hard for the organization to do such things. So my opinion is that the government should give more financial support for the operating costs to maintain. They can give service to the public. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The Justice Secretary again intervenes to stop a private prosecution related to the protests. Police make another six arrests over the Yunlong gang rampage last year. And Hong Kong records the lowest number of new coronavirus cases in six weeks, with 18 infections reported today. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's NewsRap programme. The Secretary for Labour and Welfare has defended the government's employment support scheme as it prepares for a second round of wage subsidies. Law Chi Kwong admits the scheme fails to help all workers but says it needs to be kept simple. 
Francis Sitt reports. Callers to an RTHK radio programme were clearly furious with the government's job retention scheme, saying it benefited employers but not workers. Ms Chu was one of them. Why are you going through the employers? Give the subsidies to the workers. Your job retention scheme is just aimed at making the employment figures look better. You are not helping the workers. The Labour Secretary Lo Chi Kuang said if the government subsidised employees directly, vetting applications from some two million workers, no one would get any money until next year. He also questioned whether many people would still have a job if their employers can't keep their businesses going. Mr Lo said the government's aim is to maintain the employer-worker relationship so that things can hopefully return to normal when the pandemic ends and the economy recovers. He said companies will also be fined if workers are asked to take unpaid leave for long periods of time rather than receiving wages as required. He said the government wants to keep the job support scheme simple so it's easy for companies to understand and they can receive money quickly. But the caller, Ms Chu, also criticised the plan to require the two dominant supermarket chains, Welcome and Park and Shop, to pass on discounts to their customers if they want to apply for another round of subsidies under the scheme. Did you even study? Don't you know the economies of scale? These big companies can ask suppliers for goods at cheaper prices, right? Why are you making things complicated? Just don't give them so much subsidy. Mr Law admits that the chains may not have been seriously affected by the pandemic, but he says it would be too complicated for authorities to look into their operations and limit the payments they are offered. The minister said the current proposal allows the chains to give back to the community, and he hopes other supermarkets will follow suit in cutting prices. He said Welcome and Parking Shop will also have to provide details of discounts they offer and how these can be monitored. Mr Lo also talked about the unemployment figures, saying he's not optimistic for this month, despite the jobless rate edging down slightly to 6.1% in July. Restaurants, shops and hotels are struggling, he said, adding that he hopes the employment support scheme can help. A prominent critic of the Russian government, Alexei Navalny, is in hospital due to suspected toxic poisoning. The BBC's Sarah Rainsford reports. Alexei Navalny was flying from Siberia to Moscow when his spokeswoman says he began to feel ill. The well-known anti-corruption blogger and opposition activist headed for the back of the plane where he collapsed. A video filmed by a fellow passenger shows medics heading down the aisle towards the sound of loud groans of pain. After an emergency landing, Mr Navalny's spokeswoman says he was carried off the plane unconscious. She believes he's been poisoned, though she told the BBC he'd only drunk tea this morning at an airport cafe. Mr Navalny is a fierce critic of the Kremlin. His anti-corruption investigations target those closest to power and he actively supports opposition candidates for election. He claimed he'd been poisoned last summer when he was hospitalised from a police detention centre. Anna-Marie Evans asked our Moscow correspondent Fred Weir for his reaction to the suspected poisoning. It's being widely reported. The, the details are rather sparse and you're getting them from many sources. Uh, what I would say is that, um, you know, I live in Russia. I've, been, I've lived here for 34 years and um, I feel like I know the place. I've felt the changes that have occurred over the decades. Um, and it seems to me that it has grown increasingly normal, which is totally unlike when I first came, when it was Soviet times. That was a tight, controlled society. 
But then things like this happen, and they happen with some frequency. Really strange events like uh, dissidents getting poisoned or shot or defenestrated. Uh, these things happen. I mean, not every day, but occasionally, and it just shakes your view of reality. In the Soviet Union, if a person crossed certain lines, and they were well-drawn lines, they would get disappeared. In the case of someone like Navalny, he's allowed to continue. He makes his videos. They're viewed by a couple of million people. His group, various, there are various groups that affiliate to Navalny. You can phone up his people and talk to them on any given day about any subject. That's allowed, and the state can handle it. This Putin state can handle that level of opposition. But then something like this and you would think for the russian state having this headline this morning uh, navalny poisoned would be worse than anything navalny publishes on youtube and yet this happens and it is one of the most baffling aspects of putin's russia for me personally and i think for a lot of my colleagues it's just so hard to understand what is going on under the surface here. In the case of civil society, you know, we have the social media flooded with pictures, pictures on the, of him on the plane, pictures of him apparently drinking something in an airport in Omsk or Tomsk. Is, uh, doctors are speaking out and saying, yes, he was definitely poisoned. It looks like that. So you also have that level of civil society activity, and it adds somehow to the horror that you feel at something like this. In terms of him as an uh, you know, opposition activist, I mean, he's 44. He um, definitely, I mean, he's gone up against Putin several times in terms of also advocating that, that uh, Putin should not have been able to I extend his term in any way, but that's uh, already done and dusted. He's been doing it for years. He has, you know, a certain amount of support, but in general, it's fair to say the wider society ignores him and um, there isn't fear about there isn't the sense that if you say something to a journalist say you'll get in trouble because I talk to people every day and can phone them back a month later and they're fine it's it's not like that it's this strange selective occasional what looks like extreme violence that happens to certain people and I don't see how it fits into any regular pattern and I, I don't think it's easy to explain or it's easy to explain in stereotypes Putin the monster dictator uh, crushing his opponents but if he was that he would be doing it every day to all of them in the U.S., the Democratic Party has officially selected Senator Kamala Harris of California to stand for the vice president's office. She's the first woman of colour to contest the position. This report from the BBC's Aline McBool. Being an African-American female business owner under President Trump, I feel, how can I say, I'm alone. There's been lots of this during the week. Slickly produced videos, given the virtual nature of this event, many championing diversity. But on this, the third night of the Democratic Convention, one man really shook things up. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. Barack Obama has of late been more openly critical of the current administration without explicitly naming names. But that changed tonight. I did hope, for the sake of our country, 
that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump responded with furious tweets and said it's because Barack Obama did such a bad job that he got elected in the first place. His mood wouldn't have been improved by another speaker who was in I told you so mood. For four years, people have told me I didn't realize how dangerous he was. I wish I could do it all over. Or worse, I should have voted. Look, this can't be another woulda, coulda, shoulda election. Hillary Clinton reminded people that she'd lost the last election in spite of getting around three million more votes to urge them to cast their ballots in November. Remember back in 2016 when Trump asked, what do you have to lose? Well, now we know our health care, our jobs, our loved ones, our leadership in the world, and even our post office. This was also the night the vice presidential nominee was formally confirmed. Donald Trump stoked conspiracy theories about the right of Kamala Harris to stand for office, ones that are unfounded. Senator Harris spoke at length about her late mother. I keep thinking about that 25-year-old Indian woman, all of five feet tall, who gave birth to me at Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, California. On that day, she probably could have never imagined that I would be standing before you now and speaking these words. I accept your nomination for Vice President of the United States of America. There were only about 40 of us in the room in Wilmington in Delaware, so no big cheer for that. But Senator Harris, like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama before her, talked in foreboding terms of the importance of this election. So we're at an inflection point. The constant chaos leaves us adrift. The incompetence makes us feel afraid. The callousness makes us feel alone. It's a lot. And here's the thing. We can do better and deserve so much more. Kamala Harris ending that report. While many people have been working from home during the pandemic, essential workers have remained on the front lines, even though many don't have adequate protective equipment. Concerned that street cleaners could be vulnerable to the virus, a group of church volunteers have been handing out free masks to neighbourhood workers and the homeless once a week. Our reporter, Jimmy Choi, went out with them. From the church, some people make this mask to share. Every Friday evening, volunteers fan out from Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church in Wan Chai in search of people who may need surgical masks, gloves and hand sanitizers. They start with the neighborhood refuse station to make sure workers have what they need to protect themselves from COVID-19. Reverend Thomas Law is the head of the church. We started this service around February because the 
pandemic was so serious, and people did not have enough masks to protect themselves. We feel that we need to share these masks with the street janitors around. They started out with just two boxes of masks at the beginning, but the reverend ploughed ahead anyway. He used his sermons to urge people to donate more masks and for volunteers to hand them out. More and more people began supporting the cause. When we did it, oh God made a miracle. So many masks were donated to us. It should be the job of the government. Really, they should help the citizens. However, what do our government do? Nothing. And so the citizens must stand up and help themselves. And so we are one of the citizens, part of the citizens. And so we share what we have with each other. The volunteers started off distributing the masks only in one chai. But as more masks were donated, they gradually extended their efforts to cover not just cleaners, but homeless people in another district such as Kennedy Town, Western, North Point and Chai Wan. Sometimes they even hand out food coupons. But it's not just a once-a-week commitment. Volunteers also gather at the church every Thursday to repack boxes of face masks to be handed out the day after. Ronnie, an 18-year-old student, is one of the volunteers. I was baptized here 17 years ago, here in the church. I think that being a Catholic, I should help this parish and I should be the Catholic and should help others. Here in, in the church, I think that people are helping each other. We can feel the love by all the people and we want to give our love to those in need or the people who feel less loved. For the volunteers, the project can also be a learning experience. Wendy brought her two children with her to hand out supplies for the first time one night and was impressed by what she saw. I'm most happy today to see that my two kids didn't mind going inside refuse stations to hand out masks to the cleaners because I can see that they have tried to experience poverty. In fact, sometimes when I pass through some tunnels, I could see some homeless people. But I'd just pretend not to have seen them and I wouldn't care too much about them. I used to think that they were dirty, but now I don't think so. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Applications for the second tranche of the Employment Support Scheme can be made from August 31st to September 13th. All subsidies must be used for paying wages. No redundancies can be made during the subsidy period. MVF contributing employers with accounts before the end of March, regardless of whether they applied for the first tranche, and persons with MPF self-employed person accounts set up before the end of March who have not yet received the subsidy are eligible to apply online. Employment Support Scheme, tied over the hard times. For details, visit ess.gov.hk. Radio 3, weather. Well, look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly fine, apart from some isolated showers. Minimum temperature will be around 27 degrees. Very hot during the day. Maximum of around 33 degrees with winds that are light to moderate east to southeasterlies. The outlook, there'll be a few showers in the following few days. Very hot over the weekend. Currently, the air quality health index is low to moderate with readings of 2 and 4. 
Air temperatures 29 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 87%. Preacher Man here on RTHK Radio 3. Simon Wilson sitting in for the world's most durable DJ, Uncle Ray. BBS MBE will be back on Monday after the news at 10. Instead of All the Way with Ray for tonight and tomorrow, it's Some of the Way with Simon. Here's Dream Academy, Life in a Northern Town. Salvation Army Band children drop lemonade and the morning lasted all day all day and through an open window came like Sinatra in a younger day pushing the town away 